All right, welcome back into another edition of West of Everest. No opening take for this particular podcast because we are just continuing on from our last episode, but we are calling this episode 161 as we look back at our preseason predictions from August of 2019 from our big season preview show. And I know it's been seven months since then, but at this point we have not gone back over and looked at which things we got right, which things we got wrong. And, uh, you know, since we have all this time now with most people out there quarantining, I figure right now this could provide us some comic relief. And then in addition to that, I know Grant's got at least two uh, horrible, bad takes that he wants to talk about in the sports world that he, uh, he he's really passionate about. I've got some bad takes that I've heard, uh, takes that I've made myself, and that could just be a free-flowing thing that will potentially lead to more takes and more predictions coming to mind uh, as we touch on different subjects. But uh, first off, actually, hold on, uh, I, wanna, I might as well welcome Grant back in. Hey, Grant. Hi. Right. Uh, yeah. So like we're a little rusty. It's been a month since our last podcast trying to figure this out as we go here in uh, in quarantine. But uh, the last podcast, hey, you drive <laughs> the ship, man. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's let's do this. So I went back, listened to our our episode. I can't remember what episode it was, but it was from late August, our big season preview. And right off the bat, I found it interesting because we recorded this podcast. It was after that Miami Florida game that was like a week before everything else and you just had tons of thoughts on that it's like what are we doing talking about this so much so in depth because who I cares? was starved for football yeah and uh, it really stood out to me because immediately before the 2019 season had begun for basically every single team except for Miami and Florida you were already ripping Felipe Franks which proved to be prophetic yeah but I also feel bad about it because you know his like, you know, his his leg basically exploded like two weeks later. Oh, it did? So, yeah. but man, I, I his uh, his backup was, is a lot better than he is. That is that is for sure. I believe I uh, had some sort of take in the middle of the season about that as well. Oh, yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. You nailed that. I just, he couldn't get any worse than Fl- Franks. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, he got hurt. That sucked for him. But he just, he wasn't a very good player. So, uh, sorry, man. Uh, truth hurts sometimes. Yeah, man, and I, I'm pretty sure I remember after that game, I, I made I made the bold proclamation that neither of those teams would be present in the national championship you did. hunt. And you, did. you know, Florida really wasn't, but they they were definitely nationally relevant the entire season. Um, that Florida team by the end of the year was a lot better than the one that played against Miami. So, yeah, Kyle Trask, I, I think you know makes that team quite a quite a bit better. And Florida is actually a team, Lee, that I am kind of playing around thinking of saying maybe they're going to be the sleeper of 2020. Wow. The Bad Take slash Prediction podcast. You started off with a, a potential take slash prediction. I like that. Yeah, no. My, I, right now, the, the take that I'm working on, and I'll give you guys a bit of a preview, is the, the take I'm working on right now is I, I, think, um, I, I think the team that wins the national title next year is either going to be Georgia or Florida. So I'm... I don't know. I, I I'm still working out a way to articulate that. Boy. But that's that's kind of what I'm working with right now. All right. So uh, since we have a, a full podcast to fill, we'll just kind of go one by one with our categories and see if you know what interesting things jump off 
Uh, I know there's a couple that I should have circled that I didn't that are going to really be fun to talk about, but uh, you know, we'll get to those when we get to them. Let's begin with our first category, which was incredibly confusing in the podcast to you, and I could have probably written it differently in the rundown, but I wanted you and I to predict who the leading rusher on the team would be aside from Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks. But uh, you kind of read this as just a leading rusher, which was a whole confusing thing on the podcast. But in the end, we both ended up deciding that TJ Pledger would be the guy that would get the opportunity at the beginning of the season. And uh, you made the the bold proclamation, though, saying that by the end of the year that you thought Ramondre Stevenson would be the third running back, which you were correct about. And technically, he ended up being the number two running back. Yeah, he was. And and he is, you know, Ramondre's he is he's the best he's the best running back on the team or at least the most talented. So, you know, it wasn't just I you just had to look at the guy's tape and that's why that that's a guy when you look at his Juco tape, that's a guy who is just obscenely dominating everybody around him. And and it just it, it didn't surprise me that 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 he came on really strong in the second half of the year and it it sucks that he's looking at maybe missing the first five games of this next season because he's going to be a really valuable piece for them. Next category was which true freshman pass catcher would have the most impact. And in August of 2019, you and I were on the very same page of this one, and we ended up uh, we ended up whiffing. We both said Trajan Bridges would be the most impactful true freshman pass catcher. Who would you say ended up being being that guy Jaden Hazelwood it was Hazelwood yeah um but also he you know it looked like if you remember it looked like Hazelwood was you know was poised to be just kind of you know in stone the the number three receiver on the team going into the Texas game and then he didn't even he didn't see the field he didn't play one play that entire game and so yeah I mean yeah I, I was a little surprised that really none of the freshmen made made much of an impact this season yeah, Hazelwood ended up with 19 catches for 272 and one touchdown. And for one game, Theo Weiss was the guy in that Baylor game. He was great. Had that big touchdown. But uh, Trajan Bridges, obviously, at the end of the year, he ended up getting suspended. Uh, we were both very high on him in the preseason. And uh, let's just say, hopefully, he, uh, he, he breaks out next year when he has an opportunity to. Over to the defense. Uh, see, this one was interesting. Okay, this is the first kind of like, all right, this was like well done, kind of. And by the way, do you have this in front of you? I think I emailed you this document. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. All right. So the next one was simple. Who's going to be the leading tackler? And Grant, I got to say, you were you were close. You said, and it was, it was uh, you know, it, okay, okay. I said Kenneth Murray because it was easy. You know, Kenneth Murray, middle linebacker, and you know, you look back at Alex Grinch's defenses at Washington State. Two out of the three years Grinch was there, the middle linebacker led the team in tackles. So I thought, all right, well that makes sense. You got Kenneth Murray, the most experienced guy, really on the defense coming back. Yeah, I'm gonna say Kenneth Murray, but you got creative, Grant. Who did you go with? DTY, baby, my boy, Delarian Turner Yell, and you know what? He finished second on the team in tackles. So well done. That's actually, you know, that was a out of the box prediction, and you were almost correct because I mean it was really granted. Kenneth Murray was the easy and the most logical one, but I got to give you credit for that one. That's pretty good. I recall not, yeah, I recall not wanting to go with Murray specifically for that reason. I just thought it was, I, I think I even conceded that he was likely to be the the leading tackler, but I, I just, 
I know that was boring. So I wanted to throw someone else out there. And so while we're here at this category, and I have this in this document as well, I just wanted to bring up how last year in 2018, remember, you know, there was at least a couple of podcasts. I was accusing Oklahoma of goosing the tackle stats of Kenneth Murray and Curtis Bolton. And so we actually, we talked about this uh, on that preview show back in August. And you mentioned on the show, you know, cause I was like, how many tackles did they have? You know, I, th- I think, you know, like, wasn't Murray like maybe one of the best, you know, best in the nation. You were saying, no, 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 no. He wasn't, I, I think he was top 10, but he wasn't, he wasn't in the, you know, close to the top. Well, Kenneth Murray was second in the nation last year in tackles, Grant. So, and Curtis Bolton was seventh in the nation. Murray had 155, Bolton had 142. And you're wondering, hey, why am I bringing this all up? Who cares? A year later, you look at the assisted tackles. That's where it got goose because both Kenneth Murray and Curtis Bolton in 2018 each had 84 assisted tackles. Now, in 2019, guess how many assisted tackles Kenneth Murray had? And I know you already know. Actually, Oh, you, you don't actually you do know because I have it on here this list. I do Kenneth, know. I'm, I'm looking at it. Yeah, Kenneth Murrell only had 33 assisted tackles last year, so he had about 50 fewer. And Oklahoma's second leading tackler, DTY, only had 15 assisted tackles. So for whatever reason, in 2018, Oklahoma statisticians really dished out assisted tackles like they were. I, I don't even know. I mean, like more than anybody in the country. And so I just wanted to point that out because, uh, you know, Murray had 102 tackles last year. The year before, he had 150. So he had 50 plus fewer tackles last year. <laughs> See, I don't even know how to explain that. Like, what is the. Because I, I feel like with a discrepancy like that, you have to make some sort of effort to, to like you say, to goose them up. Like, who, who made that decision? I don't know. Or did they, did they have a new statistician? See, this is this is what the journalists need to be doing, Lee. You need to be digging and finding out this information. Well, I remember Ridiculous. one of the uh, one of the the solutions you had was like, well, in 2018, Oklahoma's defense faced a lot more plays, so that's probably why the tackle numbers, which was a pretty good good take, I thought by you. So I you know I look back at 2017 to kind of compare because those are pretty similar years, right? Because the defense was bad both those years, and. In 2017, Oklahoma's defense faced 947 total plays. In 2018, Oklahoma's defense faced more plays, 1,036. So let me do the base. It's about 90 more plays in 2018 than in 2017. But in 2017, Oklahoma's leading tackler was Emmanuel Beal with 95. And he was only credited with 40 assists. Oboe had 75 tackles and he had 28 assists. So I there's a huge something happened in 2018 with those assisted tackles because somebody really wanted to give Curtis Bolton and Kenneth Murray a bunch of tackles that year for some reason. So, anyways. Well, I mean, cool. The defense could was have been, so bad. It was so yeah. bad. <laughs> you know, I apologize for the previous five minutes because that was probably really boring podcasting. I'm just kind of realizing right now. But uh let's move on to the next category. We were going to guess who's going to lead the team in sacks. And I guess I cheated on this when I said two people. I said it's going to be either Neville Gallimore or Ronnie Perkins. And you were more concrete. You said it'd be Neville Gallimore. Well, it turns out uh, I was kind of close, but I also used two players. Grant Jalen Redmond led the team in sacks last year with six and a half. 
you know what? Huh. If somebody asked me that uh, two days ago before I did this, I would have got it wrong. I would never have guessed that Redmond led the team in sacks. I'd have probably guessed Perkins. I thought it per- was I thought it was Perkins with six and a half. So that's why I'm kind of Perkins has had six. Gallimore and Kenneth Murray each had four. So, eh, uh, you know they there need to be more sacks than than they got last year. Uh, that's another thing that I'm sure. Yeah, one of the I, one of the problems was that it kind of seemed like that Neville really could never get home, and I mean his his sack numbers didn't don't really reflect the the impact that he had. I mean he he collapsed the po- the pocket a lot. Um, man, if 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 he had the ability to get home more often, that would have been. I mean, he he would have had an all American type season, I think, with his numbers. So the next category we talked about in that preview was who's going to be the most important offensive player. Of course, besides Jalen Hurts, because the quarterback is always the most important player. And um, we totally whiffed on this. This is the one where the where the where this is the worst category for us for us all. Okay, so let's figure out. Okay, so who was it then? Who was the most important offensive player besides Jalen Hurts this it was year? CD. CD Lamb. It was CD Lamb, and C, yeah, CD was probably. I mean, you could argue he. No, he yeah. wasn't the most important overall, but I mean, yeah, it was definitely CD. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. But also on to... this one, I remember I was I was trying to be creative on this one too. I, I said I said Charleston Rambo, and my guess was being that you know this guy's got a he's he's and I remember my reasoning was is this guy has got to fill the void left by Marquise Brown as the deep guy, um, and in the first five games of the year he did he did a pretty good job of that, um, but then of course I then you know everyone started to figure out Jalen Hurts and but I kind of cheated on this one too because I said Rambo and whoever plays left tackle. And I don't know that that could be a little kind of right because left tackle was sort of a, a constant revolving door this year. Yeah, I mean, we each had the you know think back to where our minds were at in August of 2019. A lot of question marks surrounding the offensive line, and so your head was at Rambo and one offensive line position. My head was at Creed Humphrey. Uh, I said Creed Humphrey was because in my in my mind he was the only returning starter on that line. He was connected to Jalen Hurts, and I thought if Creed Humphrey went well, then that would just help everything else gel around him, and Creed Humphrey's coming back for another season because presumably he didn't get graded out very well for the NFL draft, and he's got something else to prove uh, for another year in college, so he ended up not having as good of a year relative to what uh, we hoped he would, so that's why I picked Creed Humphrey, and I guess in theory, I mean, the offensive line... I still think the offensive line uh, was pretty darn good, and I know a lot of people think it wasn't very good, uh, but I think that's kind of unfair. I think it, it still was really darn good. But uh, relative to the they, rest of the country, it was really good. Uh, relative to what OU had done the the previous three years at, on the offensive line, yeah, I mean they, they took a pretty noticeable step back. I thought. Uh, so yeah, that was yeah. You're right though. We we both got that wrong. It should have been CD Lamb. Or ended up, it was C.D. Lamb. Next category, we had to guess the sleeper impact player on the offensive side of the ball. And so I I think I might have gotten this correct. I don't know. I'm trying to think. This who one's would... tough. I don't, I don't, I mean, there really weren't any. I, I, I think, I, I think the person that probably qualifies the best is probably Ramondre. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, either, either Ramondre Stevenson because... You know, we were hoping that he'd be good, but you know he wasn't established before the season. You know, I predicted to be Nick Basquin, and Basquin ended up being 
tied with Jaden Hazelwood as the third leading receiver on the team. <laughs> Next, uh, you know, behind Lamb and Rambo, he had 19 catches, 275, and that big touchdown against Baylor in the Big 12 title game. But yeah, I mean, Ramondre Stevenson was also very good as well. So I, I think maybe that was the correct answer. For one game, you were correct about your prediction, which was Austin Stogner. And he broke out in that Baylor game in Waco. Yeah, he had two touchdowns against Baylor, didn't he? So, yep. Stogner's good. I think I, he might have like a he might have a big season coming up here. Like I, yeah, yeah, I agree. Just I agree. especially with Rattler throwing the ball, and he's such a big body, and he it kind of seems like he he can control his body, and he understands what he does well and doesn't do well. I he's he's going to be a good one. I think. I agree. I agree. So. We just did offense, sleeper, impact player. Then we had to predict the defensive impact player. And uh, let's see, who was the sleeper defensive impact player? Probably maybe uh, Jaden Davis? I'd say it was Jaden. Yeah, I mean, Jaden Davis. um, It could be a lot of people, actually, I think. Um, Trying to think. So who... Who made big plays? Of course, you know, Kenneth Murray made a lot of big plays. David Obuebu, Nick Benito? You know what? I'd say it's Benito. Benito? I think it's Benito. Yeah, because he was... Because you remember, John Michael Terry was, you know, what was the one at Jack Linebacker for the first half of the season, all the way up until Texas. Yeah. And then... um, I, I feel like it was the it was the Baylor game in Waco where Benito first started to come into his own. You know, he had the pick to end the game. Um, and then, yeah, and think, then after that, he right. started to just make plays. After that, he was just a good player. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Benito's the answer to this. I think he's the guy. No, nobody was talking about him before the season. Uh, wasn't even projected to be a starter. He wasn't. And then, yeah, he came in for John Michael Terry. And you know, him, he and Abuegbu kind of split that at the start. And then Benito kind of took over. So, yeah, I think that's the guy. We both um, – uh, we. I. <laughs> I don't think I totally whiffed, but uh, I mean, you kind of you dug deep. You you said Marcus Stripling, and that didn't pan out. Uh, I mean, although I will say, I hope you said you said Marquez Overton. That's, that's say, a I really said, good. Yeah, I said Famatahu and Overton kind of together because they were going to back up Neville or kind of be next to Neville. And Famatahu didn't didn't really do much. He did his normal thing, but Overton definitely had his best season. Overton and, had a really good year. He was good. And so I was happy to see him him uh, play well in that Alex Grinch defense. Next up, more uh, talking about more impact players, going back to the offense, we said, hey, who's going to be the true freshman offensive impact player? And uh, so I was kind of – I must have saved Stogner for this. So I guessed Austin Stogner. You guessed – let's see, what did you say? I think I, I remember this. I remember saying that really none of them were going to have huge roles on the offense. And then I said that that like Weiss and Hazelwood will play, but then they'll be ready that they'll make some noise, but we'll be ready for a big twenty twenty. All right, that's looking pretty good. And you meant yeah, you predicted that Marcus Major would redshirt, which he did, and I know he had some injury issues, so that factored in. Uh true freshman offensive impact player. Let's see, who do you think I mean Hazelwood, obviously, is we already talked about him earlier. Is that maybe the only guy? I mean, it's got. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, it has to be Hazelwood, be or it's got to be one of those three guys: Hazelwood, Stogner, or Weiss. And so, I, yeah, you know, so it'd okay, be Hazelwood. So Hazelwood was the right right answer. So that was kind of a whatever category. We'll move on. To it just point. didn't really materialize. In some years, it will. Like I mean, 
2017, we have Trey Sermon as, as a true freshman who runs for 1,000 yards. All right, so this next category could not be more of a, of a difference in, in our predictions. Grant, you absolutely nailed this one, and I basically I went up to the plate. I took three big old swings and never got close to contact. Uh, true freshman defensive impact player. I got to give you a, a round of applause for this one, Grant. Who did you say? Jaden Davis. You called Jaden Davis back in August, and you're, you nailed it. I mean, because I, I, I think Benito, I think he's a redshirt freshman, I think, last year. Correct. So I don't think, I don't think he was eligible. And so, yeah, you, I mean, you nailed it. I, but, and, and as much as you nailed it, I went with my gut of Jeremiah Cradell, which uh, was not great. I did mention that uh, a guy like Marcus Stripling might be the best bet here and that, you know, Stripling obviously had a little bit more impact than Cradell, which Cradell had zero impact. And uh, so I was uh, was way off while you predicted your guy ended up being one of uh, uh, the better players on the, the defense, and then he disappeared the last quarter of the season, weirdly. So nice call with that one. Those are all the different individual player ones we did, and then we moved into the team-oriented goals and predictions. And our first category was, hey, what's OU's trap game going to be? <laughs> and we both, uh, we both got this one wrong. Uh, you thought it would be week three at UCLA. And uh, about what point in that week three game did you realize that, hey, this is, uh, this is not going to be a trap game for OU? Oh, I mean, honestly, first, first series, first couple <laughs> yeah. drives. Um, first couple snaps. <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't. It wasn't close. Uh, I, honestly, it, more so watching UCLA against Cincinnati the week before. Because uh, um, my my big thing was that Chip Kelly is a great college football coach, and he's going to have the year two jump at UCLA. There's a lot of, you know, they they had recruited well previous to Chip Kelly coming there, and a lot of those guys hadn't really left the program yet. Um, I figured there would there would be a, a second year bump for Chip Kelly, and that did not happen at all. So I thought that October nineteenth against West Virginia would be a trap game for OU, and that did not materialize. Uh, I did mention that maybe Kansas State would be the trap game, but I didn't go with it, so it doesn't count. Uh, obviously, Kansas State technically was the correct answer, considering that was the only loss in the regular season. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you Kansas you State my was, pick, uh, pick to, uh, yeah. So Kansas yeah. State was the only Big Twelve team in from the preseason that I didn't nail. I don't think because um, I, I I was pretty outspoken. I thought Kansas State was going to be bad last year. I mean, I'll I'll say it, and they weren't. So, but everyone else that I said would would really struggle and not be good it definitely played out that way I remember thinking that uh especially the new coaches were all about to get a pretty rough uh a rough welcome to the league all right so the next one was uh I know you it's a category that you like that you thought up and you wanted to talk about what do you think Oklahoma's worst case scenario is in the season and so your worst case scenario was Oklahoma going nine and three and I put some notes on here about kind of what you what you said during it is did these notes kind of jog your memory about oh, yeah. why you thought Oklahoma could go nine and three? Yeah, and man, they definitely could have if if the ball didn't bounce their way a couple of times <laughs> in the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that uh, it's just kind of crazy going through it. I mean, uh, you know, the o- offensive line doesn't gel. I mean, the offensive line did gel, but then it didn't. You know, injury injuries. I mean, Calcaterra. 
and then obviously very very end of the year with uh, DTY, but injuries weren't really much of an issue. I know the offensive line was banged up a bit, so I guess that the line in. was banged up all year. Yeah, all year, especially the tackles. They they were really struggling at the tackle position all season. Yeah, it just you know the road you know problems on the road. You know maybe Jalen Hurts isn't that good of a passer. You know all these kind of things started cropping up late in the year. Uh, you know my worst case scenario was very similar. I said eight and four, so I mean just a difference in one game, but. Uh, uh, yeah, whatever Oklahoma was not good, it was basically because of the reasons we were afraid of in those games. Uh, you know, best case scenario, uh, I'll go what I said. I mean, best case scenario for Oklahoma last year is that Bill Biedenboe does what he does and, and makes an offensive line into another elite-type unit, and that leads to a great running game. Jalen Hurts is able to throw the ball from the pocket, and uh, he has like a Kyler Murray-type silent assassin type swagger and and Oklahoma plays really well that was my best case scenario that uh, the running game technically was great because Oklahoma's offense turned into basically the you know a triple option type offense but uh, you know at the start of the year Hertz was kept clean for the most part and played with a bit of a swagger but then that kind of started to dissipate towards the end of the season so the best case scenario for me was that Grant your best case scenario was uh, what I, I wrote this down here you can kind of go over it well, I said, well, yeah, I, I, I think from the beginning, I, I was I was pretty outspoken by saying that the offense is going to take a step back no matter what, which yep, you did. we can all agree that, you know, that that was the case. Um, but but I think I but at the time I said, but we'll still be the best in the country, which most certainly was not the case. Um, I don't even know if they were a top 10 offense in the country by the end of the season, to be honest with you. Um, it says defense still gives up head scratchers and big plays but top 10 in the country in tackles for loss and takeaways. They were number nine in, in tackles for loss. And I would say that they, they gave up a lot of head scratchers, but made a lot of big plays over the course yeah, of the no, season. That was, yeah, that was that happened for sure. I mean, they didn't have enough takeaways, but uh, yeah, I mean, they were, that was a good call with top 10 in TFLs. And I would say, you know, under a best case scenario, Alabama and Clemson would lose, would both lose in the regular season. OU gets a one seed, and I, I used 2015 Clemson as kind of a model of, of the like realistic success. And um, I, you know, my predictions for OU as a team turned out to be, to be right. My predictions for pretty much all of college football outside of OU and the big 12 uh, were probably, probably the worst I've ever done. <laughs> uh, we each predicted OU to go 11 and one in the regular season. So we were both right about that. Uh, then we had some big 12 predictions. Um, so this is kind of interesting. Um, underrated big 12 team going into the season and you were talking about it in the podcast you're you're like you know i'm kind of thinking baylor which it kind of perked my ears up because obviously baylor ended up being the correct answer to this because it came out of nowhere or not I shouldn't say nowhere but they ended up playing in the big 12 title game so yeah but i guess at that point in august everybody was talking about baylor according to you so you decided to go with iowa state uh, because you thought iowa state should have been the clear number two team in the conference and not texas so you went with Iowa State, and I did pick Baylor as the most underrated Big 12 team going in because they were picked to finish sixth in the league by the media, and I had them finishing fourth in the media poll, so I figured that they were being uh, underrated by the media. But I thought that was kind of interesting that we were both kind of thinking, well, I mean, I picked Baylor, but you were kind of thinking Baylor too. Yeah, no, I was. I, I, at the time, too, I was thinking Baylor just because they had a really, really advantageous schedule. Um, of course, you know, they had a cream puff non-conference schedule, and then it just – 
kind of their their home road splits really worked out for them in the preseason. I, I remember looking, and I mean that that definitely was the case. They, they played a really easy schedule, <laughs> relatively speaking. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we had no idea the defense would be as good as it was. Too, that was an incredible shock. I, I, yeah, I, I, it was I would more have guessed Charlie Brewer playing well, yes. and uh, yeah, I would have. I, I, I w- it would surprise me at all if I was on record in the preseason with saying that Baylor's defense will absolutely be terrible again. And it wasn't the case. It was great. It was a really good defense. I think maybe for the second year in a row, I correctly predicted which Big 12 team was being overrated, and I said TCU. I think I might have said TCU before the 2018 season because. TCU doesn't have a quarterback. Gary Patterson's teams aren't very good. And TCU going to, went into the season with Alex Delton as their starter, basically. It was like, yeah, I, the media is picking these guys to finish fourth. Yeah, they're not going to be very good. And TCU was not very good. And until they finally switched over uh, to the other quarterback, whose name is escaping me, then then they Max started to be – Duggan. Duggan, yeah. And, which he was – we were talking about Duggan in the preseason. It's just it took him some time, and it took – him time as well because he wasn't great to begin with too but then he got more snaps and obviously he had a couple of flashes against OU but uh yeah I I said TCU most overrated big 12 team I think that was right uh and you went with Texas which and that was right too (laughs) okay well it was Uh, I mean Texas was a was a top 10 preseason team and they finished six and six oh wait they did weren't they six and six or were they seven and five I think they were like eight they ended up like eight and five or nine and four or something well if they were eight and five that means they went seven and five because i know they beat i or they beat utah yeah uh you had ou iowa state in the big 12 title game uh and i had ou texas so we we both didn't really get that one right um so that's all the stuff we had then we did some national predictions um let's see i'm kind of going over this you know you thought like you didn't understand like why oregon was getting a lot of talk you thought oregon was overrated which I guess at the end of the year, Oregon ended up helping out Oklahoma quite a bit, knocking off Utah, which I guess you maybe you could argue they didn't help Oklahoma because Oklahoma then got embarrassed by LSU. But, uh, yeah, I was kind of with you, though, on Oregon. I didn't get them, but I, I was way off. I thought, hey, what about Ohio State? Are we sure Ohio State is going to be a playoff contender? Because you know, we don't know much about Justin Fields, but turned out that uh, Justin Fields is pretty darn good, and so is Ohio State. They were – really darn good last season so I got that way wrong yeah I thought you know I've been kind of reflecting on my Oregon hate for the season and I do think a lot of it has to has to do with Justin Herbert Uh, I just I, I, I just don't see it with I mean whoever drafts this guy in the first round of this of the NFL draft is is just is not gonna be happy I I this guy is Jake Locker he is Jake Locker and I, I he's guess I don't. Than Jake Locker. I think he's he better might than be. Jake Locker. But that's yeah. not saying much. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't very good. But that's a guy uh, who just who I it, so much praise was heaped on that guy throughout his entire college career, and just never for any valid reason at all. And guys like that, uh, the the media darlings, I, I'm pretty much always going to ding them. And this time around, it didn't, you know, I don't know. I, I still don't think Oregon was particularly good last year. But that's that's probably just going to be one of those hills that I got to die on. You're really high on Michigan State in that preseason preview. Woo! And, Terrible. Uh, that was, I, I would say that was your worst prediction, but it, but it wasn't. Uh, uh, so, but 
granted, equally, I was really high on Michigan, and Michigan was Michigan again and didn't do anything. So I was way wrong about that. So we got to the Heisman part, and we both picked Tua to win the Heisman Trophy. And we both thought it would be between Tua and Trevor because remember back in August of 2019, it was, yeah, who's going to be? Trevor Lawrence or Tua Tungavailoa? That's what everyone was saying. And we went with Tua. Neither one of those guys even made it to New York. Granted, Tua got injured, and, and Lawrence, it seems like Clemson just doesn't care about the Heisman. They just want to win games, and there's like, whatever, we'll just we'll chill until the playoff because we play in a really bad conference. But there was one comment you had as we were going over Heisman odds and all the different players that just really stood out to me. And I kind of wish I would have cut it for the podcast but you're gonna probably talk about this later but you made the comment like you're going through all these different players like jake Fromm or like whatever like long shots <laughs> you're like who who would i pick And you're like you said quote joe burrow at lsu most certainly not <laughs> end quote but yeah, no, i will I've say ar- though I've, i don't already know. said it. it's to my word it out though you go for it yeah i know you, you did mention though jalen hurts you did mention that jalen hurts should be the third player behind Tua and Trevor Lawrence which that technically was kind of true because he ended up getting second place behind uh, Joe Burrow but yeah no I mean so I guess yeah, the, the, the Joe there. Burrow take is my is my worst take of all time and like I don't <laughs> and I, if if you know if I were less honest I, I could I could easily try to just like whitewash it and pretend like I wasn't um, kind of going over the top during the entire 2018 season talking about how much I dislike Joe Burrow. Like, I mean, I, it's extensively on tape about how much I disliked Joe Burrow, just as a player. And I, I don't... It's a bad take. Very clearly a bad take. Uh, best, best season ever in the history of college football. Well, that's a good transition into the... I suppose the last part of the show. We can... I think you had some Twitter thing about hey, man, we should talk about bad takes or that could be a pretty fun podcast. And so might as well think about what are some of the worst takes you've heard, some of the worst predictions you've heard, and even some of the best ones. But I have a feeling that some of the best predictions to take we're not even going to think of because the bad ones stand out more a lot of the time. And so I've written down a, a few. Uh, you mentioned the Joe Burrow one. That's your worst take ever. Uh, I think on the f- – podcast before earlier this week i mentioned robert barnes uh, my worst take of preseason ou fall camp of 2019 was that robert barnes would end up being the starting nickel so that was a terrible prediction on my part and now robert barnes is now playing linebacker uh, i all tweeted out on tuesday that back uh in i believe 2006 so the 07 sugar bowl i remember watching uh, jamarcus russell and lsu beat up on Notre Dame and I remember thinking that man I think Jamarcus Russell's a pretty good quarterback he's going to be good in the NFL well that was a terrible take and uh, the Raiders also thought he'd be good and you never want to be in the same boat as the Oakland Raiders so there's a couple from me off the, off the bat but uh, I got a couple other ones uh, one other one from me and then uh, just one that stands out to me from a, another sports pundit or just a sports pundit but uh what have you got? What are some of the, the worst takes or best takes that you remember? Well, in terms for me, I mean, the, the Burrow one is the one that instantly comes to mind. And, and I mean, I've, I've had a lot of terrible takes in my life. I don't, um, not a ton of them are on, you know, are, are on tape, thank God. But um, I'm trying to, the one that, and of course, like, I'm not that old. And so, like, I, I'm sure I had just a, a ton of awful takes in the 2000s, you know, when I was a teenager and whatnot. Um, 
But one I remember pretty specifically from uh, just the last handful of years, I was adamant that Baker Mayfield would not be a starting quarterback at OU no matter what. I remember in 2015, I thought it was... It was like almost like uh, like hearsay to say that that Trevor Knight would not win that quarterback battle. I thought people were being ridiculous for thinking that Mayfield even had a chance. I thought people were smoking something if they thought that Knight wouldn't be the quarterback. And you know, the rest is history. So that was a really bad take. Um, kind of along those lines, that was during the era when I was covering Texas A and M, and I wasn't following Oklahoma football closely at all. So I didn't know much about Baker Mayfield. And I remember when I first heard about Mayfield being named the starter, whenever that was, I guess would have been fall camp 2015. I remember my first thought was a guy named Baker. There's no way that guy's going to be a good quarterback with that with that name. Yeah, great take by me there. One of uh, another terrible take, basing it off of somebody's name, whether it be good or not. And uh, yeah, he's a great quarterback, so... That's uh, that's my that's my version of uh, he's not going to be the starter either. But uh, from ten thousand feet away, when I wasn't paying attention, I thought eh, that's a kind of a goofy name. But uh, he's uh, made it work for him. You know, I got you know, I have some I have some like some other very Homer takes as well. For instance, I am adamant that if the two thousand Oklahoma Sooners played the two thousand Miami Hurricanes, that OU would win that game. I am adamant about it. A lot of people think that's stupid. Um. Trying to think of other ones. I, I I'm I'm gonna have a lot, and so I'm hoping this can just be sort of like a, um, a, a recurring series during the off season here, uh, while we're all quarantined and, and doing this periodically, and so that's actually that's what I'm hoping this whole like take thing is gonna be, and so because like my vision for this Lee is I just want to talk about, I want to talk about like big takes like like takes that were conventional wisdom takes where that were national. And that there were legitimate like lines drawn in the sand. So, for instance, one off the top of my mind is is Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady. You know, before uh, in, in 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 the 2000s decade, before Tom Brady obviously separated himself uh, with his longevity. I'm talking about stuff like that. Um, so, but that's not a great example because that that's that's a reasonable argument. The one that that to me, and this is where this is where I wanted to start this. Um, to me, this is, is, is currently the most unforgivable sports take that I think a, a lot of very prominent people have this opinion. And I think it's completely unforgivable to the point of being a terrible take. And, and, and this is what it is. Eli Manning does not belong in the Hall of Fame. Anybody who does think he belongs in the Hall of Fame is living completely in the moment. And we should just throw everybody in the Hall of Fame if we're going to put Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame. I do not understand this argument. Statistically, just across the board, the guy was never, at any point in time of his career, one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the league. And he is only, this this conversation only exists because of his last name and because he has two Super Bowl rings. What do you think? So, I just want you to be clear because... You're saying that the t- okay, so the bad take is that Eli Manning is obviously a Hall of Famer. It is a monumentally terrible take, one of the worst sports takes ever that he should be a Hall of Famer. So this topic to me, 
uh, clearly I don't I don't get too fired up about it because I don't really care as much about it as maybe you do. But I certainly lean more on your <clears throat> on your side, whereas like obviously the only reason why is because he has two rings. And so the question is, is, is like, is you know, what's the whole point about you know football? Is like it's winning championships, and he's got two of them. So, you know what? Here's what I hope happens. I hope that next season, or whenever they play football again, or in the next two years, whatever, I hope Nick Foles leads the Bears to a Super Bowl championship, because then he will have two rings. Will all the people that say? Eli Manning is a surefire Hall of Famer. Also say that Nick Foles should be in the Hall of Fame with his two Super Bowl rings. I want to see that discussion because if those people say no, then that's pretty inconsistent to me. Is it not? Well, I know that you don't care because you're not saying that. I just think that's that to me. That's the interesting kind of like hypothetical here because, yeah, yeah, I look at his numbers. They're not great. I think it's a good point. He was never, you know, like you're, you're never whatever. If you're a fan of anybody like. Did you ever go into a game against the New York Giants and think, oh, man, I'm really concerned about Eli Manning today? No. Again, I, I like the Chicago Bears. I've never gone into any game thinking like, oh, man. And the Bears have never had a good quarterback really since I've been alive. Uh, but I've never been like, oh, man. Like, yeah, granted, Manning's better than anybody the Bears have had, so that would have been nice, but that's an incredibly low bar. Uh, but, yeah, listen I, to I some tend of to these, agree with you. Listen to some of these numbers on Eli Manning. And, and like, let's – and I think there's a lot of different tentacles to this argument because one, there's the there's the whole, hey, what what should the criteria be for a Hall of Famer? You know, should this be only for just like incredibly great players or whatnot, or should we just put very good players in there too? There's all there's also that argument about you know how you know how important should Super Bowl rings be when we're discussing we're trying to parse through these different players and whatnot. Um, and and we, we we can get on those arguments at, at a different time, but I, I just I want to say some numbers here for Eli Manning, and I want you to tell me whether or not you think that it, it it designates someone as like as a Hall of Fame worthy. And and in my mind, if you make it to the Hall of Fame, that means at some point in time in your career, for a not insignificant point in time of your career, you are the best, if not one of the best players at your position. You are a bad mother effer, and people are scared of you. That's what a Hall of Famer means. Now, when I say this about Eli Manning, just tell me if any of this screams Hall of Fame to you. 117 and 117 was his was his career record. Um, let's see here. He would be... Uh, oh, sorry, I, I jumped the gun a little bit. He played 236 regular season games and pretty much started all of them. He was never hurt, to his credit, which is nice. However, he only won... NFC Offensive Player of the Week four times in those games, which is only one more than Cincinnati's Andy Dalton. Also, Kerry Collins, who was the New York Giants quarterback before Eli Manning, won NFC Offensive Player of the Week four times in five seasons with the Giants. So in 16 seasons with the Giants, Eli Manning won it four times. Kerry Collins, who was there for five seasons, won it four times as well. Let's see here. What else? He has... Eli Manning is 87th all-time in career yards per pass. He's 87th ever in the history of the NFL in yards per pass. Um, and he is 71st ever in touchdowns per throw. And the reason why I bring those stats up is because people who argue for his Hall of Fame uh, credentials usually 
uh, bring up his his uh, his all time passing yards, which I, I he's in the top five in the league in, and also I'm pretty sure he's in the top five all time in passing touchdowns. And so that's why I wanted to bring up those stats. When you do it on a per capita basis or like a, a per throw or per attempt basis, he is 87th and 71st, respectively, in those two in those two stats. Also, in his 16-year career, Lee, Eli Manning was only once in his entire career in the top 10 in the entire league in quarterback rating, and he was ninth that season. How on earth can anybody argue for the Hall of Fame with a straight face? And actually, let, let me back up a little bit. I'm okay with people arguing for him in the Hall of Fame. The thing that bugs me is I just wish they would be honest. Say he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame because he has two Super Bowl rings. That's it. Just be honest is all. Because That's Manning, your argument. Be honest. Manning, Manning made the playoffs one, two, three, four, five, six times in his career in six different seasons and obviously we know how two of those seasons went they went from the wild card round to super bowl champions but in the other four times they were one and done didn't even win a game so i mean he's built his entire career his entire hall of fame legacy off of two playoff runs which are, don't get me wrong i mean it's it's great i mean it's it's like joe flacco just needs one more playoff run like that to basically be the next Eli Manning because Flacco did the same exact thing with the Ravens when they won it all. I mean, he had an incredible playoff run and he just got cut by the Broncos. I mean, I, I think the point to sum it all up, it's going to look really awkward when quarterbacks from this era that do make the Hall of Fame. And it sounds like, I mean, like we'll see. I mean, Manning will probably make it, but whenever you stack up Manning's numbers with all these other quarterbacks of this era, you're going to be like, Wait, really? I mean, he he completed sixty percent of his passes. I mean, you see like Drew Brees' career probably like sixty six or sixty seven, sixty eight. You're gonna see Tom Brady up there. I mean, these are some of the all time greats. Don't get me wrong. Peyton Manning up there. Uh, you're gonna see the all time records gonna be five hundred for Eli Manning. Quarterback rating is gonna be eighty four. Uh, you're gonna you know it would look good if he was in the era of Joe Montana and Steve Young. And, you know, the 80s, maybe the early 90s, that era what you know, was a little more difficult to complete passes. The rules are different. But this is going to be, you know, he kind of bridged the gap. He, he played a lot of snaps in the era where throwing is a lot easier and his numbers just weren't there. So, yeah, it's – I'm not as, uh, you know, I guess passionate about this as you are, but uh, that's interesting, though. I, I do think that you make interesting points. Yeah, and – don't get me wrong. This is not the end of the world. If people want to put Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame, that's fine. Go for it. Um, I'm just a person who really appreciates excellence. And I see someone who is very clearly not excellent and people saying that this guy's a surefire Hall of Famer, and it bugs me. It bugs me. And so the thing that I'm going to look out for, um, I'll just give an example. For you brought up Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is an objectively better player than Eli Manning. Across the board. Is better at literally everything. Nobody's talking about Matt Ryan as a potential Hall of Famer in the future. I didn't bring up Matt Ryan, but I guess he qualifies as uh, this era of quarterbacks. So maybe Matt Ryan is not, not going to sniff the Hall of Fame. And he is, he is better than Eli Manning by an order of magnitude. If they would have won that Super Bowl, he sure would be sniffing it, though. I guarantee you that people will be talking about down the line which is yeah it's 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 silly i don't know and and there's going to be guys like for instance like uh 
uh, Philip Rivers is someone who comes to mind too, and and him and Eli Manning are like are intertwined. I mean, they came in in the same draft class, and they yep. basically those two teams switched picks. Philip Rivers is so much better than Eli Manning that it's offensive if anybody argues otherwise. Yeah. By the way, congrats on Philip Rivers to the Colts. That's yeah. pretty cool. Could work. Could not work. Who knows? But yeah. it's the. But the fact that Philip Rivers was never gifted a pass rush like that in 2007 or 2011 and is ne- it was never able to go on a run like that, it just bugs me. And it just, there, there's not any consistency with it at all. And the reason I get worked up about it, and worked up, I don't know if it's the right word, but I care about this stuff. This stuff is, is it, I always say or not, are sports important or are they not? And if they, like, if they are important, then it's okay to talk about them and get emotional about them if, you know, if they are. So I think we're learning they're a lot more important nowadays than maybe important. we thought before. Yes, they are a they are cultural glue and they it's they're very, very important for our society. Well, let's keep it in the family for another take that to me, when I think of bad takes, for whatever reason, this one always sticks out to me. And this was back in early 2012. And this is whenever I was still watching first take and it was still kind of a novelty back then. And I remember Rob Parker, who you can see on FS1 now every once in a while. And, uh, you know, you don't see him a whole lot anymore. But I remember he was on first take. Maybe I think Skip and Stephen A. might have been off or something like that. Might have been some time where they were on vacation. And I remember Rob Parker in early 2012, he said that he thought Peyton Manning should just go ahead and retire. That his injury was going to never going to heal properly and he should just hang him up. And he had nothing left in the tank. And I remember at the time thinking, like, that is – because I think he, there was the topic was they were showing look these random videos of Manning rehabbing and throwing and he looked fine and he was working with David Cutcliffe and it was like yeah it's like he's been away from the game for more than a year he's been rehabbing he's going to be fine and it's like the, all all signs were pointing towards Manning being healthy and and sure I know it's a weird surgery but it's like it's Peyton Manning he's gonna he's gonna figure it out but Rob Parker said he should just retire and then Manning proceeded or went on to have two of his best seasons of his career in 2012 and 2013. Also, it was really good in 2014, and then, of course, won another Super Bowl in 2015. And, and I know he wasn't the main reason why the Broncos won the Super Bowl that year. He was actually kind of bad that year, but... He deserves uh, that. Yeah, he deserves it was, that. That was, yeah, that he, was poetic justice. Yeah, and so... Uh, but if it was up to Rob Parker, those final three, f- four years of Peyton Manning's career would have never happened, and... Uh, so I thought I remember I was thinking like that was such a bad like I, I and it's just it's I know those shows you're supposed to have takes all the time and it's difficult to fill all that time and I get that's what he does but that's what Rob Parker does and I just for whatever reason that take stands out to me because it was a terrible take I, nobody was talking about Peyton Manning retiring and he thought yeah I'm gonna be the guy that's gonna say that Peyton should retire that was dumb I've been um I've I've gone back and watched some of because uh, the NFL made a uh, Game Pass free until uh, May thirty first because the coronavirus stuff. So, and, and I know you have a subscription to it one, and I could have gone and looked at it whenever I wanted to. But uh, I have uh, I've gone back and rewatched uh, some NFL games uh, a little bit, and uh, I've I've gone back and actually rewatched some from two thousand and nine, uh, which was the second to last uh, full season that Peyton Manning had with the Colts. Um, and I also went back and watched that too because that was a that was a pretty special uh, uh, season locally here. The Vikings had a really good team with Brett Favre that season as well here. Um, and I, I was like, eh, I'm bored. I don't got a lot to do. I kind of want to go back and just re- rewatch all of these games, the Colts and the Vikings games, uh, week by week, 
um, all the way up until the uh, the AFC and NFC Championship games. And so I've been doing that, and it's it's a lot. I, I would recommend maybe you go back and watch some of them, Lee, uh, just to see what Peyton Manning looks like, like in his prime. And it's he's so good. I, I just I, I know this is wrong now. I, I know I know Tom Brady is the goat, and if you say anything about that, you'll you're instantly tarred and feathered. Um, 2003 to 2009, Peyton Manning, those six seasons. That's the highest level the position has ever been played, and it still has not been matched. Uh, and let, maybe maybe Mahomes has done it these last couple years, but that's 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 it. Um, you go back and watch it, man. There's the control that he has is insane. Like I just after yeah. <laughs> after watching a season of Jalen Hurts and then going back and watching Peyton Manning in his prime with the Colts, <laughs> it's just like oh my god. Huh. All right. Uh, did you have one more big topic or big take that you wanted to burn on? Or no, that the one that I was going to. It's 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 more of the same. the 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 whole Eli talk is it goes morphs more into uh, another terrible take, which was which was being trumpeted unironically by a lot of important people, circa 2011, that Eli Manning is in fact better than Peyton Manning because of the said two, two Super Bowl rings compared to the one. Um, that probably is a worse take than Eli. Deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but I'm not sure if I've ever heard that take before. Who? That's that a was a that was take. a very very common take in the early 2010s. Very common. Yeah. Well, that's so dumb. I and you also have to remember memory. this was this was also when Peyton you know had just gotten hurt too, and he was sitting out a season with the Colts. So yeah. that's that's when this was happening. A couple of listeners, I sent out. Uh, a tweet asking for some feedback on this. Uh, my colleague Steve McGee at News Nine, uh, he says that uh, this is has nothing to do with OU football or anything like that. But one of his uh, Steve says that he thought Matt Doherty would be a good coach for North Carolina hoops, which he was wrong about that, and that North That's Carolina should have pressed harder to get Roy Williams sooner. I mean, what a forgetful uh, era that was. And you, I never hoops. would have been able to pull Matt Doherty's name out of my head at all, ever. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a deep cut right there for sure. On the Facebook page, Caleb says that he thought Oklahoma was going to beat LSU last year. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, didn't I pick? I, I I picked I picked OU to beat Bama in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, you did. But that did. but I also I also prefaced that by saying yeah, it's probably not going to happen. But here we go, here you go. Um, also, Eric G commented on Twitter. And I know Eric from uh, the OU Media Beat and the Thunder and everything like that. Uh, he said that his worst take was that he thought back in 05 that Oklahoma was going to destroy USC in the Orange Bowl. And uh, he spent three hours on the radio ripping the Pac-12 and saying that Oklahoma should be playing Auburn in that game. So Eric uh, admitting to that one. And, yeah, I, I, I didn't think Oklahoma was going to lose that. I thought Oklahoma was going to win that game. Oklahoma was so good back then and looked pretty darn good after the first series when they marched right down and scored a touchdown until uh, USC then just curb stomped them the rest of the way. <laughs> um, and then the last one on Twitter, uh, Chase says uh, he just has a gif for us, and it's a gif of Hillary Clinton saying it's kind of obvious. So I'm going to assume he means uh, everyone that predicted that Hillary would win in the 2016 election. Uh, that obviously did not come true, which uh, I certainly thought, it was going to be President Clinton 
I did not expect President Trump, but uh, I, I think you were on the same boat as me, and most everybody in the uh, country certainly thought Hillary Clinton was going to win the presidency. So yeah, I think that definitely qualifies, although it's not a sports-related prediction. I kind of feel like there's got to be a ton of terrible takes in NBA land. There's got to be. I feel like there's, that's probably where the most of them are. Um, you know what? Yeah, I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm relatively new to the NBA as far as following it. I didn't start following it until I moved to Oklahoma City and worked at News 9. And I got to be honest with you, I, I know you're not in the same boat as me, but it's just, I... I miss the NBA because I really enjoyed watching this Thunder team this season, and it's annoying that this season's not going on right now. And I, I do think they're going to find a way to figure out to play some of it, or do I, I don't think they're going to just cancel the NBA. They're going to figure out a way to do something. I, I'm pretty optimistic when it comes to this whole uh, coronavirus thing. I, I think it's going to be back to normal sooner rather than later. I don't know what the timetable is, but uh, count me as one of the more, uh, you know sunshine pumpers when it comes to that but uh i am um, definitely not that i'm sitting here hoping that we can even have a 2020 college football season yeah yeah that's that's why we uh you know that's why we're different on this podcast but uh yeah nba i mean there's you know i've had i guess technically one of my worst takes nba wise was ever i was still relatively new to the oh uh the thunder not i'm not in the thunder beat so i shouldn't describe myself that way but i mean at least following the thunder and being uh in the know, I thought for sure that Russell Westbrook was not going to sign uh, that Supermax contract, and I thought Russell Westbrook was going to want to get out of Oklahoma City, but uh, that was dead wrong because Westbrook definitely did sign that Supermax deal, but uh, obviously, and then they brought Paul George in, and you know, obviously now that he's been traded, and Oklahoma City has uh, doesn't have that contract anymore, but they have Chris Paul's contract, which is also rather large although Chris Paul is having one of the best years of his career in uh 2019-2020. So that was one of my worst NBA t- probably my worst NBA take ever and I learned a lot from that. Don't uh, have a strong take on something that you really don't know much about and you're somewhat new to covering. I learned that the hard way. But yeah. uh but yeah, I mean you're probably right. There's probably a lot of really bad NBA takes out there that we're just not privy to because we're just not uh yeah, just not that dialed into that sport is yeah as I say, that's why I, that's i'm glad you put some out on facebook I, ho- I hope people can kind of send us other bad takes that they see i just want to talk about them it's fun everyone's got bad takes I, I and if i if i if i think of more that i have of course i will bring them up i i don't care at all so um i don't know yeah fun all around is there anything going on and uh anything nfl free agency wise that is uh that is interesting i i, I did text you this last week I, I told you, thank God that the NFL did not delay free agency because I, I thought last week kind of that it was sort of a break from the bad news that we were able to follow some NFL signings a bit. And I thought that was really good for the country. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I kind of wish a lot of that news could be spread out because we're going to get a whole lot of nothing now. I mean, there's going to be a couple of random free agent things here and there. I mean, Cam Newton is now going to be released. We'll see if there's any market on him. I don't know, but uh, I mean, the biggest news obviously is Tom Brady is going to the Buccaneers, which I didn't think. I mean, there was never any sort of chance it was happening, but I thought I was really hoping that somehow Brady would play for the Bears because the Bears are my team, and that would have been awesome. But uh, I figure I, I figured that would be a bigger deal, but I don't really care that he's going to the Bucks. Do Do you kind of feel the same way? No, I I can't wait. 
Really? Granted, it's apples okay. to oranges now because it's different whenever the guy's, what, 42, 43, and he's not in his prime anymore. But I have always wanted, especially the last, I don't know, five years, I want to see Brady and Belichick split up because I do. I think quarterbacks are more important, and I, I think it's more on Brady. I think Brady's just so darn good. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be tough to tell now, especially because he's older. But um, I'm fascinated to see who the Patriots decide to play quarterback for. I mean, is Jarrett Stidham going to start for them? I mean, right now, I mean, they just signed Brian Hoyer. They brought him back. But uh, I just – what an incredibly massive drop-off from like, Tom Brady I, I, to really know, anybody. And I don't know if these conversations happen in the NFL, but um, – they they gotta be thinking, uh, should should we tank? Because Trevor Lawrence is right there waiting for him next season. Man, if they can tank. Like I, I just, yeah. if I'm an owner, you, I feel like it's respo- it's the responsible thing to do to float that idea, right? It's just so hard to tank in football. I mean, the Dolphins reportedly and allegedly tried it, and then and- all their guys started playing well. At the end of the season, I yeah. thought that was a pretty a pretty fun little storyline to follow, actually, because they were terrible, and then they like they they demonstrably improved over the course of the season. Think back to week one; just came to my head. I mean, you got this Dolphins team where people were like, "Yeah, are they going to tank? Are they not going to tank?" Week one, they played the Ravens, who at that time we didn't know what the Ravens were, <laughs> and you have this team, the Dolphins, who. If they were trying to tank at the start of the year, it, it sure looked like it, and they didn't even like really try mixed with this offense that the NFL was not ready for. <laughs> Remember like how bad the Ravens beat the crap out of the Dolphins in that first game? Like, yeah, it was that like was forty nine to nothing or something like that. <laughs> just, uh, I just think it's funny looking back. It's like why couldn't both of those teams played other teams in Week One? I think maybe we would have gotten a better idea of. I don't know. It just that was kind of that was like a perfect storm of like dominance and just absolute incompetence and ineptitude playing each other in oh. week one. Hey, how about um and and of course you never want to live in the moment. You want to look at things, you know, sober like, which, you know, might might be funny coming from me. But anyway, um wh- what were your thoughts on the uh the Texans and Cardinals trade, which when it happened, I thought could maybe be the most lopsided trade in professional sports history that I had seen, <laughs> yeah. which of course you can't judge until things happen. But from based off of what we know currently, that's one of the worst trades you've ever seen in your life, right? Yes, absolutely. The Texans get a washed up running back and a second round pick, I think. A washed up running back with a bad contract. <sighs> for maybe the best wide receiver in the NFL and the uh the Cardinals got prime. another pick in his prime yeah and also the Cardinals got like a fourth round pick too so it's not like it was just for Hopkins so yeah I don't know what the heck that was about I mean you and I have been a uh, David Johnson fantasy owner for what the last three seasons ever since he's been in the NFL <laughs> and so for me yeah. I mean just I remember I texted you I can't remember what game it was but I texted you like in October last year watching the red zone like you could just see like David Johnson got like a got like a swing pass and like it was one of the few times that year last year he actually had like some space to run and he just looks so 
slow and could barely move. And I remember I texted you, I was like, dude, David Johnson is shot. I mean, he is done. Like, we got to figure out something to do. And it's, I, I don't, I don't know how we can recover from that. I mean, and it wasn't even like he had any sort of lower body issues last year. It's always been kind of like upper body stuff, hasn't it? Like he had the hand Broke that his one wrist. time. His That's wrist. his biggest yeah. injury. Broke his wrist. Yeah. So it's not like he's had like ACLs, I don't believe, or like ankle stuff. Or it's just, I mean, what an incredibly, I mean, between, uh, between him and Todd Gurley, just elite running backs just absolutely falling off a cliff. It's crazy. That's why you don't draft a running back in the top five of the draft, New York Giants, as much as you love watching Saquon run. Yeah, what have they been back to back, like five and eleven, I think. Something yeah, like that. it's just I so. mean, it's it, it's it's dumb. Like I just and unless you are unless you are a team that has that has all your bases covered and you are just picking for luxury, picking a running back in the first round is just is is one of the worst investments you can make in professional football. I don't I don't care how good they are. It's a bad pick. And that's certainly become more of a a reality in the last 3 4 years or so. I thought uh I thought Ezekiel Elliott that high was a a good pick. I mean, I think Ezekiel Elliott it was not. still really good. He is really I mean, good, but is he who who is more important to them winning football games, him or Dak? They took Dak in the 4th round. I mean, if it wasn't for Elliott that season, whenever Dak first came in, I mean, Dak would have been no, I mean, nothing. Are you sure? I got, because I because I remember that season, everyone talking I about how amazing Dallas' offensive line was. I well, yeah. I mean, I know Dak got like I think off like rookie of the year or something like that. But I don't. know. I just that's not to say Zeke's not good. Zeke's really good, obviously, but he's just not. He's not even one of the fifty most valuable players in the league. I think I think Zeke is still kind of a different type of running back. Granted, I. Still, yeah, it's they paid him, which, yeah. Although, I mean, if you're talking about different backs. types of running back, I don't think Zeke is your guy. Like, I, I don't. So, your guys who are like, I mean, I would prefer someone like Alvin Kamara over Zeke. Like, I want guys who can catch the ball, guys who can be a, well, a receiver as Zeke well. Zeke can catch. Well, Zeke, he can do. He can do all of it. He catches the ball. He's really good. Yeah. I'm, and Kamara yeah, did it's, like Kamara did nothing last year. He was like an afterthought. What happened to him? That uh, offense. Yeah, I don't were, know. All I'm saying is that, yeah, Zeke's a, Zeke's a really good player. In terms of value, is he that much better than Marlon Mack? Wait, wait, what? Zeke is a really good player, maybe the best at his position in the league. In terms of value, is he that much better than Marlon Mack? Just to throw oh. in a name out there. Yes, in terms of value, absolutely. you're insane. Yeah, absolutely. No, no. He can actually create from nothing, and Marlon Mack really can't. That's what makes Ze- Ezekiel Elliott. There is so no really way good. that Zeke Elliott can create from nothing enough to be a very valuable player like that. There's just no. Uh, yeah, we're I mean, we're arguing about the value of running backs. Essentially, I, I don't. They're not well, valuable yeah. at all. <laughs> Sorry, running backs. They're not. You just saw that the two teams in the Super Bowl this year have like had five guys between those two teams that get a a, a line share of the carries. Yeah, all like of them complete afterthoughts. This. Every year, all of them complete afterthoughts. So, like, I mean, it's not, it's just, it's, it's, it's a complete, it's a sucker bet drafting a a running back that high. It's, it's a complete luxury. All right. I don't have anything else on uh, the free agency stuff. I am happy about, uh, well, relative to the alternative, but I, I, I'm kind of, uh, 
excited is too strong of a word, but uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about Nick Foles in Chicago. I think he was the best available of all the spare quarterbacks that were available to uh, be picked up. And uh, looking forward to him starting week one. And uh, it's been, I wish I could say it's been fun, Mitchell Trubisky, but it hasn't been. Uh, yeah, that's all I got on that one because uh, he, he'll certainly be pushed, but uh, I just haven't seen anything from Mitchell Trubisky to lead me to believe that uh, being pushed will make him play better or turn him into a better player. I just don't see that coming. So uh, Trubisky's got Foles a bit era, of, I can't wait got for a bit of Jalen Hurts in him, as in he has no idea of where to go with the ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's uh anyways, but that's all I have, so. But yeah, and I'm also uh I'm I'm pretty pretty excited now for the for the Colts season with Philip Rivers at quarterback. I've had to deal with with completely delusional Colts fans thinking that Philip Rivers is not a big upgrade over Jacoby Brissett, which is just is so galaxy-brained that I I don't even know how to deal with it. Yeah, I'd love for Philip Rivers to be the Bears quarterback next year. That'd be great. I But so yeah, I yeah, you know, it, it's it's really going to depend on Philip Rivers' health and whatnot. Um, but from a from a standpoint of of being able to deliver balls down the field and actually being able to like push the ball, uh, I, his he represents such an immediate upgrade over Jacoby Brissett that it's it's hard to put into words. Um, so I'm I, I'm excited for that. They just they just kind of need to put some more some more pieces around him in terms of pass catchers. Uh, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if you see the Colts win the AFC South this year. I mean, that's that their roster is very good. All right, that does it for the second episode this week. If you have any thoughts, comments, hit us up on the West of Evers Facebook page. Grant is on Twitter at Grant Benson twenty five. I am at Lee Benson News nine. If you have any thoughts on us going through Oklahoma teams from the last two decades and you know fun ranking things like that, I know we'll kind of brain uh, or. I was trying to say workshop. I was going to say brain, brain work, brain shop, brainstorm. How about that? Some of those ideas moving forward. Not sure when the next podcast will be, but uh, if anything comes up, we will certainly get another one out to you. Until the next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. <laughs>